Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of February 27, 2022. March is here, and that means it's membership time in ACB. Please remember to take this opportunity to become a member or renew your membership in the affiliates or chapters of your choice. Here are a few suggestions. Membership in the Kentucky Council of the Blind is just $8 for one year or $40 for a life membership. KCB has five regional chapters, including Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind, Savvy Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in Owensboro, and SCKCB, the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind in Bowling Green. Our special interest chapters include GDUKI, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, KCB Next Generation, and Tri-State Library Users. ACB Lions and ACB Families are also good choices. To find out more about these affiliates and chapters, call us at 502-895-4598. The following events are on the KCB Zoom line. Join them using your computer, cell phone, or landline by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889. 6972. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next business meeting and support call on Wednesday, March 2 at 8 p.m. Feel free to bring your questions about living with vision loss. We'll discuss them as time permits and make plans for future calls. All KCCLV members and anyone interested in low vision or experiencing vision loss is welcome to attend. Roundabout has moved from Friday evening to Saturday afternoon. Roundabout will meet every Saturday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on the KCB Zoom line. As usual, there will be speakers, discussion topics, trivia, bingo, and other games. But wait, there's more. We're planning hybrid roundabouts, including both in-person and virtual activities, on the first and third Saturday of each month. That means that this coming Saturday, March 5, our first hybrid roundabout will happen in person at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Doors will open at 1 p.m. Between 1 and 2, we'll meet friends and chat and provide one-on-one help with iPhones and iPads, Braille, hobbies like needle crafts or genealogy, If you would like to participate in any of these individualized activities, please give us a call at 502-895-4598 to let us know that you would like to have some assistance. From 2 to 4 p.m., we'll join the Zoom line for program and fun with our virtual friends who can't come in person. And then at 4, we'll have dinner, followed by social time and a bargain table as time permits. Be sure to make your return rides from UCHM by 6 p.m. 
Since we haven't had an in-person roundabout for a long time, we need your help. So give us a call to let us know you are coming and that you'll be eating dinner. We'll be posting the menu later this week. Dinner is $6 per person. We accept cash or credit cards. For more information about Roundabout, call us at 895-4598. The area code is 502. The next ACB Families Business Meeting is on Sunday, March 6. The main focus of this meeting will be to continue work on National Convention activities and programs. We will also be planning our spring conference calls. ACB Families meets on the KCB Zoom line at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and everyone is welcome. The Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in the Owensboro-Henderson area will hold its next meeting on Tuesday, March 8, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. The program will be presented by the Davies County Clerk's Office, and the topic will be changes in the voting process. We understand that Davies County has new voting machines, so this will be an important subject for the upcoming primary for the 2022 elections. To find out if this meeting will be virtual on the KCV Zoom line or in person at the Wesleyan Heights Methodist Church in Owensboro, contact Cheryl Lott, Savvy President, by phone at 270-686-8689. KCB Next Generation will hold its next business meeting on March 10 at 8 p.m., also on the KCB Zoom line. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind invites everyone to its social hour on Wednesday, March 2, from 2 to 3 p.m. Central, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. The topic this week is self-defense, and the program will be presented by Thrive. The Zoom number for this call is 669-900-6833 and the code is 763-689-4411. The passcode, should you need it, is 25852. The American Council of Blind Lions invites everyone to its March conference call on Thursday, May 3 at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. This is a great time for blind and visually impaired lions from across the country to share what's happening in their local clubs. We will also continue to work on programming for the upcoming ACB Conference and Convention in July. The Zoom number for the call is 669-900-6833 and the Zoom code is 842-3825-0700. One of ACB's imperatives at the upcoming leadership and advocacy training in March is legislation requiring that medical equipment be accessible to people who are blind and visually impaired. Tom Tobin, president of ACB Diabetics, was our guest speaker at the February 18 roundabout, and he stressed the importance of accessibility for all types of medical equipment and the apps that are associated with them. Tom shared his story, and we bring it to you on page two of his journey from sighted to blind, from his dependence on others as a type 1 diabetic, trying to use totally inaccessible equipment in the 1990s, to his much more independent life as a blind professional today. Find out more about the progress in this arena 
and how it may be helpful to you or someone you know. As always, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future sound prints. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. All right. We have a nice crowd tonight. Welcome again, everyone. Um, Tom has been here just socializing away. Uh, he was here a, a long time before I got here, which is great. And um, Tom used to be um, worked in development with ACB for a long time. Tom also in his distant past used to work with Hadley. Yep. And um, But Tom is now the new president since last July of ACB Diabetics. And periodically, over the last several years, um, Chris Gray would come and talk to us about some of the developments relating to diabetes. And uh, but uh, and it was a, he did a nice job last year. And now that Tom is president of the diabetics, they're doing some uh, different things. And also, uh, Tom is very very knowledgeable about the equipment that's out there. And so we've invited him to come and talk about those things and also how that fits into our um, legislative uh, imperatives this year. Because one of the imperatives that's out there, and it's hard to rank the imperatives because they're all important, Uh but this one is, is very important because it's not only related to diabetes, but it's related to all kinds of medical issues that require you to use equipment, medical equipment and devices that have screens, that have digital readouts and so on. Um, I did a, uh, there will be a, uh, a sound prints this Sunday. We'll have uh, Clark, Clark Rackville and I did a, did a feature this afternoon where he talks about all the different aspects of the four imperatives. And this one, uh, you know, he, he pointed out that that imperative, which is uh, to um, pass legislation that would require medical devices to be accessible, uh, is just so important for many, many, many different reasons, not just diabetes. But yeah. the, diabetes is the one that comes to mind um, almost first. So, um, Tom, we're going to turn the time over to you, and if you would... Um, you can, you know, you can put things in whatever order you would like. Um, and also, I would like to ask people to please stay muted so we don't hear a lot of background noise. Um, and then if you have questions, to raise your hand. Oh, I see Larry Gaston's here. Welcome, yeah, Larry. Yeah, the two Gastons are here. Yeah. Yep. So you ready right. to start, Carla? So, Tom, you are ready to go. Thank you, my dear. Well, listen, good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Um I was really uh, touched when Carla called to ask if I'd be willing to come and speak to the Kentucky Roundabout Group. I, I didn't even really know much about the Kentucky Roundabout Group, um, but I will say that my poison of choice is bourbon, so I'm speaking to the right state, I think, uh, since you're the bourbon capital of the world. Um, but I was just doing some mental notes here, and I think we've got coast-to-coast coverage tonight. We've got the Gasmans from California. I think, Sandy, you're from Utah. Uh, the the uh, um, Campbell's from Illinois. 
uh, Debbie Grubb is from Florida, and of course, all the Kentuckians on the call. And if I miss somebody, I apologize, but that's amazing coverage, you guys. I mean, I think that's really impressive. So anyway, um, it really truly is a pleasure to be here again, Carla. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real honor. Chris, Chris Gray is still very much involved in ACB Diabetics in Action. Uh, he is the immediate past president and co-chair of our advocacy uh, committee uh, in collaboration with Charles Navarrete, both of from California. And uh, Chris has been very instrumental in this space around advocacy and um, is way more knowledgeable than I ever hope to be in, in my entire lifetime. So anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I just wanted to start by putting everybody's uh, uh, everyone's skill set to the test by asking people to raise their hands if you are a type one, type two, pre-diabetic, gestational diabetic, or have been a gestational diabetic, or just happen to know somebody in your life that it lives with diabetes. Not necessarily with vision loss, but lives with diabetes. So can we take a second, whoever the host is, I think it's Kelly, to uh, count hands here real quick. So raise your hand if you are type one, diabetic, type two, um, pre-diabetic, or have experience with gestational diabetes. Just curious to see what we have in the audience here tonight. And somebody's counting. I hear it. <laughs> I'm going to give it a second because it, it, it'll lag just a tad bit. Yeah. Okay. Take your time. Uh, 14. 14 out of what do you think? Carla said there's 25 in attendance? There's 29 connections. Wow. That's Some have two people. That's, that's almost half. That's great. So, well, I'm glad to know that because. Um, as I think you all know, diabetes, whatever type you may or may or may not have or have in you know, contact with, uh, is at epidemic levels in this country. Um, and obviously, the the epidemics of type two diabetes is uh, pervasive, not just in this country but around the world. So, um, and that's a scary one because a lot of type twos walk around with high blood sugars and they don't know it. Um, and they are very often prone to uh, unexpected complications from the disease. So uh, 14 out of 29 is pretty good. So um, so I wanted to start by just giving you guys a little bit of background about ACB Diabetics in Action. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, in my opinion, and of course I'm biased since I'm the president, but uh, I think it's one of the most, uh, you know, um, the right word progressive you know special interest affiliate in ACB um, you know we, we we had turned over our entire administration last July so it's a whole new officer group a whole new uh, board of directors um, and so I I'm this is a real passion for me you guys so um, and we'll get into this more uh, as we talk um, but, uh, you know, it's I, I lost my vision as a junior in college from type 1 diabetes. I've been a diabetic since 1973. So you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Uh, anyone that's good in real math. Um, and, you know, I went from 2020 uh, vision in 1985 to basically zero in the span of one year, um, all from the complications. And um, I went through thousands and thousands of laser treatments in both eyes and then two surgeries called vitrectomies in each eye. And I did recover some vision for about six weeks, but um, as my ophthalmologist liked to say, Tom, you had one of the worst cases of a diabetic retinopathy we've ever seen at the Cleveland Clinic. So 
I guess I say tongue in cheek. I guess you got to be famous for something. So whatever. <laughs> it uh, it was. Uh, I had everybody in the entire Cleveland Clinic operation down to the janitors looking at the back of my eye because they had never seen such uh, aggressive diabetic retinopathy. So um, you know, I did my I did my blindness rebate at the Cleveland Sight Center and uh, went back to finish my college degree and kept going on my life. As Carla mentioned. Um, I kind of backed into development in 1988 uh, at the Cleveland Sight Center, and um, I've never looked back. Um, I served a total of 70 and a half years at the Cleveland Sight Center in various capacities, the last one, which ended in 2012 as their chief development officer and helping them through a capital campaign. As Carla intimated, I worked for the Hadley School for the Blind as their vice president of development communications from 2001 through 2009. And then after I left the site center, um, I decided I was going to hang my shingle out there. And um, I had a lot of experience in the, in the development arena. So <clears throat> I was um, very pleased to be hired by the American Council of the Blind in 2013 to be their director of development on a consultative basis, um, which is a role I served for seven and a half years and really tried and helped get ACB's development program on its feet, which we did. Um, inclusive of establishing an endowment fund, which was, in my mind, my crowning jewel contribution to ACB. And actually, um, as I intended, to put myself out of a job, and they hired Tony Stevens in 2013 to be a full-time director of development. I was only part-time, so um, some really good stuff in ACB. Um, so ACB Dabex in Action has been around for a little while. Um, this goes back to when Chris Gray was president of ACB, and we were chartered in 2005. Um, as Carla mentioned, I was elected president uh, last July in uh, 2021, and, um, well, in fact, the entire officer corps and board um, it turned over. Um, so it's all a bunch of brand-new people in those leadership um, roles. And so um, I have a couple of my... Uh, uh, ACB Diabetics in Action colleagues on the call tonight. Larry Gaspin is here with his brother John from California, and Larry is our secretary, our very competent secretary. And then Patricia Maddox is um, a member, and we are working very closely with our, uh, and I say this honestly, so nobody bite my head off, but it's true because this is a non political space here, with our colleagues in the National Federation of the Blind on working, we'll hear more about this in a little bit, but working with our colleagues in the Federation and our colleagues north of us on Canadian National Institute for the Blind on a bill we'll talk about later and getting um, compelling farmer to integrate universal design into their products. Um, so that's all good stuff. Uh, you know, I, I do have a record in working with the Federation when Ed Bryant was the head of their diabetes division. And we got a lot done, guys, and I'm proud of it. And it was there was no politics, there was no nothing. Diabetes is an equal opportunity abuser, so um, we got a lot done. And I'm I'm real proud of it. So, so, so let me just tell you a little bit about some of the I call them perks of being a member of ACB Diabetics in Action. Um, we have two community calls each month. Um, on the second Wednesday, we have uh, a community call that is typically you know has a presenter. Um, so the next the next uh, community call will be on March 9th, and it's uh, going to be hosting a, a gal by the name of, I think it's a woman, Mickey Compton, who is be talking about cooking without looking, cooking without vision. Excuse me. And so that's an interesting call. And then the third Saturday, which ironically enough is tomorrow, um, the 19th of February, excuse me, we have our uh, 
casual chat. This is where we just get together very, very informally, and we just talk about different things going on in the diabetes space, you know, people who are being challenged by, you know, seeking uh, support from their peers on how to handle different aspects of managing diabetes with vision loss. And so it's a very, it's a one hour, it's not, not very long, but I, anyone who's interested, you don't have to be a member to come to these calls, um, but, you know, I invite you to come check us out, see what we do. And uh, tomorrow's a good call to just kind of get your, stick your big toe in the water. Um, we have a quarterly newsletter, which is something that I, we had a newsletter, but now it's going to be done quarterly. So we're going to be reaching out to our members on a more frequent basis. Um, right now, many of you know Jeff Bishop. He is our second vice president for ACB Diabetics in Action. He has a fascinating story about his journey with diabetes. Um, and he is now, along with my dear friend and colleague, Randy Knapp, they're redoing our website. But that is a great information uh, resource um, and a way to, you know, learn about uh, what's kind of the latest, greatest stuff going on with diabetes, not necessarily associated with vision loss, but uh, some of the cutting edge stuff that's going on in diabetes. Um, and I just heard today that Randy Knapp was telling me that uh, the Tandem T-Slim insulin pump will be coming out with an app, and we have no idea at this point whether it's going to be accessible or not, but it's going to give uh, the, the consumer um, the ability to um, direct what the pump does via the app. And so if it's accessible, um, for those of you that don't know, the Tandem T-Slip is a totally, it's like iOS, it's a touchscreen interface. So if it has no speech on it and you can't see the screen, you can't really use the pump. So we're hoping that with this app, um, we'll be able to have better access to using, because the Tandem T-Slip is one of the best um, insulin pumps on the market today. Uh, and they actually have a semi-closed-loop system using the Dexcom continuous glucose monitoring system, which I'll talk more about later. But that gives you some automation. Um, if the Dexcom senses your blood sugar is rising, it'll, it'll direct the pump to, to deliver some insulin so your blood sugars won't climb you know, to a dangerous level. At some point, there's even, there'll be human intervention. But And the same is true of the reverse. So if the CGM continuous glucose monitor detects that you're blood sugar is dropping, it'll tell the pump to suspend delivery of insulin. Very much like what your brain does with those of you that are not diabetic, to tell your pancreas to stop either to release insulin in the case of rising blood sugars or stop releasing it in the case of dropping blood sugars. So we're getting closer and closer to having a closed loop system that will mimic um, what a normal pancreas does in a normal body. Um, we are, have a national convention, which is obviously held, I shouldn't say obviously, but held in collaboration with ACB's national convention. So um, hopefully we will be doing something in person in Omaha this July. Um, it's my hope anyway. I am so starving for uh, seeing all of you, my colleagues in the, in the blindness and visually impaired space. I can't begin to tell you. I am so tired of being isolated and um, I will just say it's 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 taken a toll on me mentally. So I really hope we can be in person in, in July. Um, and the last thing that I'm really proud of right now that we did uh, last October, as we la we launched the Peer Mentor Relations Committee, which is very competently led by a gal named Elizabeth Liz Alexa. Uh, she has a background in counseling, and um, she's one of our younger members. And um, it's based on some of you may be familiar with this, the peer-to-peer -peer model. So basically it means somebody like myself that's been living with diabetes and vision loss for a long time, working with somebody who is newly visually impaired and living with diabetes on how to best manage your disease, 
help train them on some of the devices, you know, to best manage the disease as they can with a vision loss. Uh, so I'm really excited about this particular program. Um, I've, I've been, ex you know, exposed to the peer-to-peer -peer model relationship uh, or model in the support model in the past personally, and I've seen the benefit it can have. So it was one of my, um, I guess you'd say campaign goals was to bring this to light and, you know, thank God we've done it. Liz is just the absolutely perfect person to do this. And um, I can't say enough about her leadership in this space. It's fabulous. So, um, so that's kind of an overview of ACB Diabetics in Action. Carla was gracious enough to let me do a little commercial. And I'm, I'm not, even though I'm a development guy, I'm not a hard salesman. So I invite you to come to some of our community calls and check us out. Um, I would also say if you have an interest in what we're doing in ACB Diabetics in Action, to feel free to uh, give me a call. And I know we're recording this, so I'll give you my cell phone, which is 847 846 8375. Of course, 847 is my Hadley days from Chicago. And then my email address is tltobin, so T is in Tom, L is in Lucky, T-O-B is in boy, I-N, at att.net. Um, I welcome your calls. I welcome your emails. And, um, you know, as I like to say, you know, if people don't know that the American Council of Blind Diabetics in Action is around, then we can't be of help to people that need our help. So um, I invite your I, uh, I really invite your participation because um, it's like anything that we do in the blindness space. If people aren't aware of what we're doing uh, and not, aren't aware of the resources that are out there to help them, then we can't help people. So that's really, really important to me. So let's move on. If we, unless, Carla, you want to take any questions right now or do you want to wait till the end to do that? Um, I'm happy to do whatever you want to do. Um, we've got plenty of time. It's pushing 8.30, so we have plenty of time. So, all right, we'll just move on then. We'll take questions at the end. Um, um, I, at some point, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I have no intentions or interest to talk for two hours or an hour and a half, whatever. So I hope we can turn this into a conversation at some point. But um, I'd like to talk, turn to what, or what Carl pointed, Carl, Carla pointed out as a legislative imperative, and that is um, a bill in the House. It's uh, called, it's H.R. 4853. Um, that's the bill number. And it's the Medical Equipment Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Um, this is huge, not just in the diabetes space, as Carla alluded. Carla, you really did your homework. You knew you could probably do this presentation better than I could. But anyway, um, it really is about getting compelling pharma from a legislative standpoint to integrate universal design into their biotechnology. So we're, um, it, 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 I just learned actually yesterday, Clark told me that it now has bipartisan support, so that's a good thing. Um, but it deals with things we call tier two and tier three uh, um, devices. So we're talking blood glucose meters. So for those of you that are, have diabetes and manage your blood sugar by testing your, your blood sugar, you know, testing your blood sugars to find out where your blood sugars are, um, the really only fully accessible option out there is the Prodigy Voice. And that's not really acceptable. Uh, we should have choices. We should be able to use the products that best meet our needs. Um, it includes things like insulin pumps. Now I was on an insulin pump for 23 years. Um, and there's some debate among my, my peers in ACB Diabetics in Action that I was either the first totally blind 
or very closely the second totally blind diabetic to go on insulin pump. And I, in all honesty, I, I'm pretty sure I was the second. But anyway, um, Veronica Elsey, who you may know, I was, I think, on an insulin pump as a totally blind person for two years ahead of where I went on, which is I went on in 1993. So she went on in 1991. It was pretty much unheard of because insulin pumps in those days had no accessibility, not a nothing. It was it literally, you had to you know count up the number of uh, clicks for to, to uh, program a, a bolus. That means like taking a dose of insulin, and count the drive mechanism, counting it down. So if you took five units, that was 50 clicks up. And when you activated it, you would listen to the the drive mechanism push the plunger in the pump to deliver the insulin. And so I had to count down from 50. And if it started to overshoot the number 50, um, I would have to put the pump in suspend. Doable. Functional, not so much, uh, but I did it because I wanted to be on insulin pump, um, and it worked. I mean, I was on a pump for 23 years, and I never – I didn't get off of a pump because I didn't like it anymore. I just had – after 23 years, I had a lot of scar tissue built up in my abdomen area, so I had to give my abdomen a rest because um, I didn't want to use any other infusion sites like my legs or whatever. So I went I went on to pens, which worked just fine, and um, so I'm happy with it. But um, <clears throat> so – um, in addition, as Carla alluded, in addition to, you know, diabetes-related devices like glucose meters, uh, insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, um, which are kind of the latest, greatest, you know, newfangled gadget on the market these days, um, it's a way to manage your, your blood sugars without having to do finger sticks, generally speaking. It doesn't mean you don't ever have to do a finger stick, but you generally can reduce them. But other, you know, non-necessarily diabetic-related products or diabetes-related products, so things like blood pressure monitors, uh, oximeters, and other, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And um, the reason that we kind of approached it this way is because when Clark and Swatha and other uh, members of the ACB advocacy team approached the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, they said, you can't just focus on diabetes-related equipment. You've got to make it much broader than that. So I actually think that was a pretty strategic move because um, – it 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 made the bill have broader impact if in fact we can get it passed, um, which is certainly very much up in the air right now. But um, but it, it gave it broader impact, which meant it impacted more lives, more people, and as a result um, would have a you know more more dramatic dramatic impact on the population. Um, um, as I alluded to, most of these devices, glucose meters. Uh, insulin pumps, glucose monitors, and some of these other non-diabetes-related devices are pretty much inaccessible. So, for example, um, a lot of over-the-counter, off-the-shelf glucose uh, meters um, don't talk. I mean, there's, they don't have any accessibility built, built into them at all. And I can't even begin to tell you all how many choices there are for people that are not blind or vision impaired. So they have all kinds of choices, but those of us who are blind or low vision Pretty much are stuck with the prodigy voice, and that's not acceptable in today's world. Um, insulin pumps have moved to a, a, a technical design where there's a virtual quote-unquote button on the screen, and very much like an iPhone or an iOS device, you have to unlock the screen to get access to the pump to actually interface with you know its functionality. So if you can't see that virtual button, you can't unlock the pump, so you can't really use it. Um, and most of the pumps are that way today. Um, and the continuous glucose monitors, which are these devices, these sensors you apply to the back of your arm that monitor your blood sugar all the time, um, 
either by taking a scan or just by asking your eye device or Android too, what is my blood sugar? And it will tell you. Um, so those have, those are pretty good um, as far as accessibility go. But, um, but clearly, you know, again, to make a comparison, when I went on insulin pump in 1993, technology was clearly the barrier. Attitudes around people who are blind and visually impaired, yeah, they were out there, but technology trumped the attitudes big time because we didn't have the miniaturization to make. Insulin pump is about the size of a pack of cigarettes, for those of you that can relate to that, and so they're pretty small. So in 1993, they didn't have the miniaturization to make them talk. Um, today... Listen, everything talks, right? Our iPhones talk, you know, our computers talk, you know, Android talks. Um, you know, in fact, some of the some of the talking technology really kind of was a gimmicky thing in the corporate world for years before it actually became an application for those of us that were blind or visually impaired. So that's kind of how it got started. Um, so in my view, um, that that attitude that we see in pharma these days has got to change. They they they. And we've seen this, you know, Eric and Tony, when he was the director of advocacy and governmental affairs, had a meeting with the people at Abbott Diabetes Care that make the Libre uh, continuous glucose monitoring system were patronized and degraded because they were blind. And the people, the executives at uh, Abbott treated them horribly because how could a blind person possibly interact with a piece of biotechnology? Um, and so they weren't really willing to listen. Um, so, in my mind, and I think hopefully all of your minds, that has to change. Um, and we kind of have, a, in addition to the other things we have, uh, we have kind of a three-pronged approach to this, and it's something that Clark came up with months and months ago. So the first, the first leg of the stool is legislation. So this HR 4853 that I've been talking about um, would address that piece of trying to legislate, uh, you know, accessibility into the pharma space and compel pharma to do it, or company, you know, Medicare and Medicaid just wouldn't reimburse for those products if they weren't accessible. That's a pretty effective way to get farmers' attention, I think. Second uh, leg of the chair is advocacy, and that's on all of us, in my opinion. We have to do a better job of educating and talking, you know, to pharma and to our legislators and to anybody who will listen, frankly, um, on why full accessibility is imperative, um, you know, for better managing one's diabetes, whether, you could, whether you're blind or vision impaired or not, frankly, because Managing diabetes is all about keeping your blood sugar in a normal range, and that's important whether you're type 1, type 2, uh, pre-diabetic, uh, gestational diabetes, whatever it means, that that's the bottom line. You have to keep your blood sugars in a normal range to avoid the complications that, that come along with the disease. Um, and then the, four, the third leg of the, of the stool is, of course, you know, the last resort, in my mind anyway, and that's litigation. Um, I'm not afraid of litigation. I'm not intimidated by litigation, but... Um, I, I embrace the ACB way of doing things, and that's like, let's try and legislate, let's try and educate, and if they continue to give us the year number one sign, which is code for the middle finger, then we'll pull out the big stick and take them to court. And we've done that, and we've had success, right, as of our colleagues in the Federation. Um, but I look at that as more of a last resort, because if you litigate right out of the box, you're gonna, might, you might win the battle, but you're not going to win the war. I want to win the war. I want, I want Farmer to be our best friend and say, you know what? The American Council of the Blind, American Council of Blind Diabetics in Action, they want to help us get it right. So we're going to go to them and we're going to get their advice and they're going to help us get it right. And I think that's ultimately the goal I'd like to see happen. So that brings me to like, what can you guys do? And I mean, we got 14 people on this call that have some kind of relation to diabetes. 
whether it's vision loss or not, but some kind of relation to diabetes. So um, I, as president of AC Diabetics in Action, I can't overstate the importance of advocacy. Um, I mean, we, Chris Gray and Charles Nabarete and Sheila Styron, who was on my Get Up and Get Moving committee, um, as she was co-chair of the advocacy committee, put on a, a what I called an advocacy primer 101, and it was awesome. They did a great job, even integrated some role playing, um, and we had 18 people attend that thing. I was so disappointed. And so for anybody that tuned in to Sunday edition, Anthony Croner's show last Sunday, we did the exact same thing with all the imperatives. And we did some role playing where in my case with the diabetics, you know, Clark was the legislative aide and I was the consumer. And we did some really good role playing where we, we, we gave people a roadmap as to how to be an advocate. Because I think a lot of people in our community are intimidated by the advocacy process. And that's too bad because um, I, and I say this, and I don't mean to sound flippant, guys, but um, our legislators work for us. They get paid by our taxes. And so, like, they need to hear from us. And if if we can't advocate on behalf of the things that we want to see happen, then who the hell is going to? So I get pretty fired up about this, and um, I I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. I'm not a magician. I don't have a magic wand. But if we don't get more people to put skin in the game and advocate on behalf of this bill in particular, um, then nothing's going to happen. So, so what I'd like to ask this group to do, um, and I know many of you on this call are seasoned advocates and very passionate about this space, among other things that, you know, the, the legislative imperatives that Carla mentioned are around fully accessible exercise equipment, fully accessible durable medical equipment, you know, more uh, programming with audio description, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, we, I need you guys to pick up the phone, call your representatives and say, you know, I want you on the congressional side of the house as representatives to co-sponsor 4853. As I said, just this past week, we got a bipartisan co-signing co-signers on the bill, which in my mind is kind of remarkable. And then on the Senate side, um, We'd like this, our senators to, we don't have a, a companion bill on the Senate side yet, so we'd like to see them generate a companion bill so that we can, um, you know, as you know how this legislative process works, you know, the Senate does their thing, the House does their things, they come together in committee, they they debate it, agree to take keep this in, throw that out, and come to some kind of consensus, and then if they can do that, it gets pushed to the president's desk for signature and become written, you know, signed into law. Um, so um, I I... You know, by way of just uh, history, guys, when I told you my story about how I lost my vision, I was a junior in college. When I went back to finish my degree, some of you may know, heard of Kenyon College. That's where I went to college. It's in central Ohio, Gambier, middle of the cornfields. But I, there was no such thing as an accessible glucose meter. So I had to have a roommate that would be around when I needed to check my blood sugars to read the results to me. So I knew how much insulin I needed to take to cover meals or if I had a high blood sugar to correct a high blood sugar, um, I could I couldn't do anything on the blood sugar management side of the house independently. I could do the I could do the insulin delivery side no problem. There are several options in that space, but you know the way it works is you don't know how much insulin to take if you don't know what your blood sugar is. So that's the key. Uh, so we you know just again a little history lesson here. We um, when I was when I got graduated, I came back to Cleveland with a vengeance, and that's when I how I got into development. But I wrote a letter to. Uh, several of the pharmaceutical companies, I said, why can't you make your glucose meters fully accessible? 
And the only one that wrote back was this company called LifeScan. It's a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. And they not only wrote back and said, yes, we want to help you with this, but we're going to fly two engineers out to the Cleveland Site Center to help you do this. So they did. And they came and they said, we're not going to build it for you, but we're going to show you how to engineer it and make it work. And basically what they said was the one-touch, two-glucose beer, which was the standard in those days, um, the gold standard, um, they said everything that's on the display that people can see, is that information is also sent to a data port on the side of the meter. So if you could develop something that plugs into that, that talks, problem solved. So we actually started to work on a prototype at the Cleveland Site Center. Um, for those of you who may have been around for a while, Dave Manser was a good friend, is a good friend of mine, and he was the head of the technology center there, and he said, I can make that thing talk. And so we started to build a prototype, but we didn't know at the time that the American Foundation for the Blind back in those days had really deep R&D pockets. And so they were doing the exact same thing, and they brought to market before anybody else could uh, build a competitor or develop a comp competitive product with a touch and talk too. And it was simply a box that plugged into the jack of the one touch two and it talked. So whatever was sent across the screen, the, the box would say, you know, one touch two glucose meter ready, um, apply blood and you'd apply the blood and hear a beep. And then when the beep was done, it would run through a, like a 30 second cycle and then it would beep again, and it would read the results that were that were displayed on the screen. Um, so for me, I can't I can't begin to tell you guys that revolution my revolutionized my life because before that, you know, I went to the site center and I had all this great blindness rehab training. I'd read and write braille. I could travel with a white cane. I knew activities of daily living, but I couldn't live by myself because I couldn't manage my diabetes independently. So that revolutionized my life, and I it, I like to refer to that time as a where I call it where the adaptive diabetes um, revolution took off because that one thing that we accomplished with LifeScan created like a, a, um, a tsunami in the, in the pharmaceutical space and everybody jumped on board, most everybody, not everybody, but most people jumped on board and they wanted to be, a, you know, they wanted to be a competitor in that space because they knew that they were, you know, that, that LifeScan had captured a cross section of the population that nobody was paying attention to. So at the end of the day, I tell this story because history is a great teacher and, if, you know, we pay attention to it. Hopefully we can do the good stuff that, and repeat the good stuff and stay away from the bad stuff. But uh, so it was a really amazing time in my life because um, AFB got all kinds of accolades. Uh, LifeScan got, got all kinds of accolades for what they did to make this happen from an engineering standpoint. And, of course, those of us that were consumers, our lives were changed forever. And... Um, I want to. My vision of this whole space is to have to basically reincarnate that adaptive diabetes revolution. Um, I'd love to see that happen again. Um, as I said, you know, integrating integrating universal design and the development of biotechnology products like uh, glucose meters and insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors, blood pressure monitors, oximeters, you name it, all that stuff. Um, makes the process much less expensive than having to retrofit something. And uh, so I don't know, I think, um, so I think, I think now is the time to, uh, to strike. I, I, I've never in my time as an advocate, I've been blind since 85 had uh, a bill in the, in the house or bill in anywhere, frankly, that, you know, actually gave us a tool to compel a farmer to do not just the right thing, but uh, to do the thing that, from an economic standpoint, because I'm thoroughly convinced whoever does it first, it's going to be a stampede to that product 
just like we all stampeded to iOS when they had the you know, fully accessible iPhone, iPod Touch, all that stuff. So um, I think, I think, in my opinion, that's what's going to happen. And I hope, actually, that there's competition in the space and all a farmer gets on board and wants to do it and they want to capture, um, you know, from a business standpoint, our dollars, you know, people that are blind and visually impaired and diabetic, our, our, our greenbacks are as green as anybody else's that can see. So I, I think now's the time to strike. And um, I hope I've motivated you guys to think about it and to get into the space, whether you're a blind and visually impaired diabetic or not, or if you know somebody that is, um, we have a great legislative opportunity here. And not that we're going to forego any of the other uh, avenues of, uh, you know, pursuit, but um, this is a golden opportunity. If we can get our act together and get us, um, you know, get us involved in the advocacy space and move this bill out of committee and up the chain of command and into, into a conference and come up with a, a, a bill that everybody can um, live with and then get it to the president to sign it. So. Carl, that's all um, my prepared remarks, so I wondered if we wanted to open it up for questions at this point or conversation. Yes, or? let's go ahead and take some take some questions. Okay, yeah. uh, well, uh, you, you've had your hand up, and <laughs> I can't put up my hand, but I would like to make a, a comment or two on what Thomas said on the visually impaired side. Okay. Um, the My stepdaughter... Um, had diabetes from age 7 to 30, whatever she is now, 30. So I don't know if she really wants me to say her age. But um, <laughs> she, uh, she uh, a year ago this past September, had a pancreas and kidney transplant. Um, they were ready to put her on hemodialysis. Yeah. But she wore a pump. And, yeah, those pumps are are small, um, but they are very inaccessible mm-hmm. to most visually impaired people because it is gray writing on green. And when it lights up, the contrast is just not there. So like you were saying, knowing how many, you know, to suspend it, yes, you go down three. And when you're going to bolus, it's, you know, you have to go down, and then you have to know where it starts to count up. So I, and I've been, I've been going to legislative seminars for quite a while, and I am glad that this, um, this, this effort to get this passed is, we are here now. Let's, let's all kind of get a hold of our congressmen and push for this. Um, but I think with this, we need to make sure that it's accessible to all, not just totally blind. It needs to be large print, the the lighting and how that print is written in front of that light. And no, it's not going to be great for every single person because of all the different eye diseases, but it, it does need to be, that does need to be addressed. Now, Patty, I would just say that's, that what you just said is a definition of universal design. Uh, curb cuts were the first kind of example of universal design. They work for everybody, right? They work for 
um, people in wheelchairs, they work for moms and strollers, they work for bicyclists, they work for everybody. So that that's a low-tech, obviously, universal design. But that's what we mean is that out of the box, like iOS, um, the device works for everybody. Um, and that's that's the basic premise of universal design. I have a, a, another comment in there, and then Patty, we'll take another hand as well. I got two um, more. Okay. All right. Um, I, I think, too, that when we talk about accessibility, um, we're, we're talking about the complete accessibility. Uh, if you've got a CGM, continuous glucose monitor, that uh, it'll tell you your uh, reading, you know, your glucose reading, but you can't access any of the reports or the charts or those kinds of things, that's... Um, that's only partial accessibility. If Clark pointed out this this afternoon in the in our discussion of um, the the four imperatives, he pointed out that in this in this arena, in the medical arena, that you know you might be um, you might need uh, things that would monitor, let's say, uh, a cancer treatment, uh, yep. maybe chemo or whatever. And yep. and so it's not just this one area, and uh, that I mean this this is a huge area when you stop and think about all the different possibilities, all the different devices that now have digital displays and that uh, have apps that you can monitor on your on your iPhone. Um, and Carol, and I've, I've, I've I adopted. Nice to interrupt you, but. You're right. I, I couldn't agree more. So when we talk about accessibility, I've I've changed the language from the term accessibility to fully accessible, which gets to your mm -hmm. point about yeah. So yes. it's, yeah, it, it means that all aspects of whatever device you're interacting with need to be accessible uh, to everybody. And that's that's a really good point, Carly, because accessibility, you know, frankly, means different things to different people. And you talk to your legislative aides or your congressmen or women or senators, and they look at you like you got a third head. So when I say fully accessible, that, that means that all the menus, all the uh, functionality, everything works on that particular device. And that's a great mm -hmm. point, Carla. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that uh, that we we need to to think about too, and this and this needs to be another piece of the discussion. Um, but we we need to finish with the legislative part. But I want us to be sure and get to it though. Is the differences in uh, what, in just plain flat out getting the device prescribed, because um, you know some doctors will take the approach that uh, having the, the the continuous monitor is is a prevention, you know, preventing uh, the uh, the progression of diabetes, and others. And sometimes insurance companies too um, will take the approach that well, you have to be on insulin in order to use the continuous glucose monitor. Well, if you've got a doctor who says, well, let's just don't let's just don't even get near where you've got to be on more medication or whatever. This can prevent this happening. That's a big area too. Um, and can prevent a whole lot of pro problems down the road. So um, I agree, Carl. I I, think I, and I think there's a big 
a different staff. I think there's been some movement on that, but um, boy, getting everybody, everybody should have that same opportunity to, um, make, because it's hard to get the, the right amount of blood on a strip. You hear so many people saying, well, I just can't get that on there right. Yeah. And, well, so I, I just would... don't do a finger stick anymore. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the wrong answer. And that you know, you're absolutely right, Carla. And I, I my uh, secretary, Fraser B. Dybex, is on this call right now. I just checked the list, and he's still here. And that's Larry Gasman, and he's been fighting this fight um, ever since he retired. And I will say that it's been my experience, uh, and this is a Medicare and Medicaid thing that they enforce what you just explained the rules of you know how they enforce who's entitled to get a continuous glucose monitor if you're not insulin dependent if you're type two, um, very inconsistently and very arbitrarily in my opinion. Um, but it, it, what I said early on in this presentation is that whether you're type one, type two, pre-diabetic or gestational diabetic, you have to know what your blood sugars are. It's a medical necessity to know what your blood sugar is. Because if you don't know what your blood sugar is, um, you can't properly manage your disease. And I don't care whatever type of diabetic you are, Poorly controlled diabetes um, can lead to all kinds of nasty complications, which, in my opinion, could bring the financial and healthcare system to its knees. Because diabetes, as I said earlier, is epidemic in this country. So, you're absolutely right, Carla. It has to be enforced, and I don't understand the rationale. Because to me, if the healthcare system is about preventative medicine, so that we don't experience complications or we prevent further complications, that to me is the goal. Because otherwise, it's going to be a huge financial burden on our, on our healthcare system. So yes. there's a real mm -hmm. economic factor, in my opinion, to this, not just the, the do the right thing kind of stuff. I mean, if the government wants to kick the can down the road. Well, that's great. But you're going to see a financial tsunami, in my opinion, of people who are whatever type of diabetic they are who have complications. And we're talking not just blindness, but kidney disease. Patty, you mentioned that with your stepdaughter. Um, heart disease, amputations. I mean... Diabetes is a nasty business, and if you don't take care of it, you can have some, a lot of problems, a lot of problems. I'm so Debbie Chicago. Watson. What is the bill that we need to call our congressman? What is the bill number? Uh, H I, I H.R. 4853, Debbie. H.R. 4853, it's the, the, that's the bill number. The, the technical name of it is the Medical Equipment Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And that's for Tier 2 and Tier 3 devices like glucose meters, insulin pumps, yes. Um, yes. continuous glucose monitors, and other non-diabetes-related equipment, as I mentioned. So Absolutely. thank you for doing that. I appreciate it, and we need, we need that advocacy. So thank you. No problem. H.R. 4853. 48, 48, 48, 53. Good, I got it. And thank you very much. Tom, Tom yeah. yes. we might, uh, you might want to ask them. The bill has not been introduced yet, but you might want to ask your congressman to sign on to it and explain why you want them to sign on to it. Yep. That's, yep. that's as good, that's good support right there. Yep. Ask your, your, I mean, if you do nothing more folks and just simply call your, and you're going to talk to a legislative aide, you're not going to talk to your congressman or, man or woman. So just ask no. them, if you ask them nothing more, say, I am interested in having my congressman or woman Co-sponsor HR forty HR forty eight fifty three. That's all you say. That's all you have to say. Um, if they ask you why, it's, 
because people who are blind or visually impaired and diabetic and other uh, diseases, as Carla pointed out, need this bill to pass. Desperately, desperately, and any other diseases, whether it's COVID, diabetes, anything, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Debbie. Yeah, I know we're coming close to the end of the uh, we're, hour. So. We're getting close to the end of our time. This has been really good. I appreciate everybody being here tonight. I hope that uh, that Tom, everybody else, has enjoyed this as much as I have. I think you've done a fantastic job. Thank you for coming, and thanks to everybody else for being here. Tom, can you me. give your number one more time? Sure. So if you want to reach me on my cell, the number is 847-846-8375. And even though that's a Chicago exchange, I'm in northeastern Ohio. Um, and then my email address is T as in Tom, L as in Lucky, and my last name, T-O-B as in boy, I-N, at att.net. So it's T-L Tobin at att.net. I welcome your calls and your emails. Thanks again, Carla. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky acb Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.